So back in our text, he says, You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And John knew who he was. He, he, didn't, he wasn't um, unsure of his mission. He, he, it was very clear to him. And he made that very clear to all. But John's disciples, we can understand in this passage, they're like, like, like Jesus' disciples. They were slow to learn. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. John the Baptist reminded his disciples that he knew who he was, and he also knew who Jesus was. Understanding that, he could keep his proper place, not too high, thinking he was the Christ, and not too low, thinking he had no call or place in God's plan. John explained to his followers that he was like the best man at a wedding. He isn't the bridegroom. He isn't to be the focus of attention. This is the same for us today. Anywhere God calls us to serve Him must be completely focused on giving all the glory and attention to God. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching already in progress. Brother and sister, we will inherit this earth. And it'll be much better than it is now. And it gets even better than that because at the end of that thousand years, what happens? We get a new heavens and a new earth Materials of that new heavens and the new earth are made of gold and silver and things, precious things. For eternity, we'll be in that state. I don't know about you, but that's good news for us, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, For who makes you differ from one another, and what do you have that you did not first receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you, or I'm sorry, now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? We have been given everything. God has given us everything. In fact, that's what worship is. It's a response, right, to what God has already done. We don't worship God. Nothing comes from me. I'm responding to what he has done. That's what worship is. Because if I, if I wasn't responding to him, where would my worship be? I'm responding to him because of the great things that he's done. Just the, 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 the fact alone that you saved my life for eternity, that I'll never see death and hell. Real spiritual death in hell, eternal torment. I'll never see that. That alone is to cause me to fall on my face and worship him. Oh, I wish, I pray that God would even grab even a greater uh, share of our hearts with that idea. Me included. Because if I really understand that, that will transform our worship of God. It really will. It'll change us. The more we think about just that fact alone, not, and, and, and then you factor in all the other things, 
Oh my goodness, it's incredible. So our worship is a response always. He does, we initi- or he initiates, we respond to what he has initiated, all that he's done. That's worship. That is worship. And sometimes it is a sacrifice of praise because you don't feel like it all the time. And neither do I. There are many examples in the Bible about that, of worshiping God even when your heart is not in it. And the devil's right there going, you're such a hypocrite. You can say, go away. (laughs) Go away. It's better for me to worship when I'm struggling and when I'm having a hard time. See, the world, anybody can rejoice when things are going well, correct? When everything is going well. I mean, if we have those days, don't we, where everything is just like, wow, this is great. And then we have 99 other days that we're just like, everything's just falling apart. Even on those days, to get up out of our pity party and to worship him, however you do that, through through singing, through serving, whatever it is that you do, worship him. He is worthy. Amen? John said back in our text in verse 27, he says, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. And everything that we have has been given to us. Even the salvation and the grace, right? For grace you've been saved. By grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. What? It is a gift of God. A gift is something that's given, not something that's earned. Not of works. I can't earn it lest any man should boast. Otherwise I would. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. Notice the right, not even the privilege. I mean, it is a privilege, but notice the. he says it's a right that you have as a child of God. Wow. You have the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. You have the right to be a child of God if you believe in his name. That is awesome. No one can boast and say they have gotten anything of their own accord. Nothing. We'll just look at a couple of these. We've received everything from him. In John 6.35, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That means he's got it all covered. He's got our, all of our needs met. But I say to you that you, have, that you who have seen me and do not believe, and all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will no wise, no means cast away. He's given us everything. Even Jesus before Pilate in John 19. He went again into the praetorium and he said to Jesus, Where are you from, Jesus? And Jesus answered Pilate and said, Nothing. And Pilate said, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And I love what Jesus said. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you where? From Rome? Because you went to law school? Because of me. Unless it had been given to you from above, therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. No one can boast of the power. All power. Romans 13. We know this verse very well. All power. Let every subject... Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by Him. He gives them every authority. Yes, God put Donald Trump into office. Yes, God put Joe Biden in office. And what is it doing? It's stirring things up, isn't it? We've all been stirred up. 
We have to be praying. But we also have to remember where our heavenly, where our home really is. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a patriot, right to the heart and to the bone. <laughs> and I will continue to vote, and I will continue to pray for the right things, for the things that are important to God. But I'm never confused about where my residency, where my citizenship really lies. Don't ever get that confused. I'm a Christian first, and I'm an American second. And if you get those two confused, you're going to be in a, you're going to have a lot of hurts. Remember where it is. And again, don't get me wrong; it's not that we don't support. You understand what I'm saying? If you know me at all, you know what I'm talking about. So back in our text, he says, "You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him." And John knew who he was. He he didn't. He wasn't. Um, unsure of his mission. It was very clear to him, and he made that very clear to all, but John's disciples, we can understand in this passage, they're like, like, like Jesus' disciples. They were slow to learn, and they didn't quite get it. And that makes me kind of happy because I'm kind of that way too. <laughs> Aren't you glad that the Bible's honest? It doesn't say that the disciples had it all together, and the first time Jesus spoke to something to them, they're like, oh, I get it. You don't even need to explain the parable. It makes total sense to me. <laughs> no, it wasn't that way at all. They're like, what did that mean? And I'm like, oh, thank God that's there, because I can relate to that. I can relate to that. But his calling and mission were written hundreds of years before he was even born. And we looked at that already in Isaiah and Malachi. But even even at his birth, the angel Gabriel coming to Zacharias, his father, what did he he say? In Luke chapter 1, verse 13, the angel said to him, Gabriel, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Even in your old age, you guys are really old. But guess what? You can have a child. And they're like, are you serious? And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So not only did John get the benefit of having prophecies hundreds and years of advance, but then he also got an angelic visitor speaking to his father before he was born, basically saying the same thing. That's pretty good, I would say. So verse 29, he says, John says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, my joy is fulfilled. The bride, you and I, we are called the church, the ecclesia, or ecclesia. We are the ones. We are the bride. And the bridegroom is Jesus. Oh, I messed up that slide. And the friend of the bridegroom is John the Baptist. The friend of the bridegroom was to prepare, to be an aid to the, the bridegroom. He was to get things ready. He was to bring the bride. 
to the bridegroom. And this is the first time in the New Testament that we see this term bride being used. We see it two other times for sure in Matthew chapter 10, 35 and Luke 12, 53, but it's speaking of a of a granddaughter or a daughter, but here it's speaking of, for the first time, the bride of Christ. We are the bride. The word is nymphy, which is um, where we get our, um, it comes from a verb, nupto, where we hear get the word nuptials. When people are married, a betrothed woman, a bride. And we see this word in other places too, and just really quickly, the Lord, uh, or John, through the Spirit of God, speaking of the Bride of Christ. In Revelation, let's just look at one of or two of them. In Revelation 21.19, it says, One of the angels came to John and says, Come, I will show you the Bride, the Lamb's wife. That's us. That's you and I. In Revelation 22.17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. So John is bringing the bridegroom, or bringing the bride, excuse me, to the bridegroom, this wonderful friend of the bridegroom. And notice what he says there at the end of verse 29. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. The the word here means to fill up, to cause to be complete. My joy is complete now. I mean, can you imagine John saying that? And his disciples saying, what do you mean your joy is complete? We want this movement to be bigger and we want to be your CEOs and your CFOs and you'll be the head honcho. What do you mean your joy is fulfilled? You mean we're not going to build that big high rise in California? And John's going, no. No, we're, my joy is fulfilled. Do you find fulfillment in serving the Lord? I know some of you, hopefully all of you do. Are you serving the Lord? Are you walking with him? Do you find fulfillment in doing the will of God? There's a great joy. There are blessings for obedience, aren't there? For following the Lord and to to have a pure heart. May the Lord give us all a pure heart. And how do we get a pure heart? We we pray for that and we, we read his word because the filth of this world, folks, is all around us. It's inundating us. We are living in a, in a culture. It's, it's a cesspool. And because of that, it behooves us to come out from among her and be separate, says the Lord, right? That means the entertainments, the music, all the stuff that we hold to, we have to really examine that carefully because it will dull you, it will dull you, and it will lead you into a certain place. There's no way you can be be neutral to it. If you're in it, you're going to be affected by it, but you must separate from it. Otherwise, we will be a part of it, and we will be hurt through and through. In Jeremiah... Chapter 9, verse 23 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this. Let us glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That's it. Let him glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. But he must increase, and I must decrease. We must decrease. This is the goal, isn't it? 
of our lives to decrease, the Lord increasing. And it's not an attitude, um, it is certainly not the attitude of the world, and certainly not the attitude of America. Unfortunately, the attitude that is being applauded and encouraged America, and not by all, but many, is to climb that ladder. Climb that ladder and step on anybody who gets in your way. To climb that corporate ladder, whatever that ladder is in in your job that you do. That's the mantra of the United States. That's the mantra of the world. You climb and you step on anybody who gets in your way. That you can get to the top. You can be the king of the hill. But he must increase and I must decrease. Is Jesus' life, his spirit in you, his way of doing things, are they increasing in your life? Or is your will, your plan, your desires, are those things increasing in your life? What did Matthew, what did Jesus say in Matthew 16? Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy life, but what is your life all about? Is it seeking something? I had a desire, a will for my life, and the Lord intervened wonderfully in my life and set me on a path that was completely different from everything I had been doing in my life up to that point. I wanted to be a traveling classical guitarist, and that's what I was starting to do. That was my goal in my life. And God intervened and changed me completely, turned me around, and I turned back, and I never looked back. Because he fulfilled me, everything. I mean, how can you argue with the Spirit of God in you, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you've been saved? Is there any school that can do that to me? Is there any gratification in any vocation that I choose that can do that? And again, it doesn't matter if you're in a vocation. Serve the Lord in it, right? Wherever you're at, serve the Lord. Don't feel guilty about this at all. I'm just saying that it's important that we understand. Let's follow him. Let's take up our cross and follow him. In John chapter 12, he says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces grain. Jesus did that. He died. And what came out of that? The glorious birth the new life for us, the salvation. And dying to ourself is what we need to do. And in this, Jesus will be increased in our life. Why would we want to settle for anything else? Or why would we want to put a lid on the Spirit of God working in us who has indwelt us? The world has certainly seen enough, hasn't it, of humanism, what men can do? I've seen enough. I don't really care to see anymore. I know what man can do. They can build big buildings and they can have lots of money. They can have a big show. But it's nothing compared to what Jesus can do. And this is why it's so important for the world to see us, the church, filled with the Spirit of God, fulfilling God's purpose for our life in this world, worshiping Him, fulfilling the Great Commission. But see, the church becomes invalid. It becomes invalid to the world. And unnecessary when the world sees the church acting just like the world. That's why people don't, they have a hard time. Because why are you the bride trying to be like the world? Why are these worldly elements in your life? Why are you so concerned what everybody else is concerned about? Where is your faith? And I think Jesus would ask us the same thing. We shouldn't be giving in to the culture and the pressure, the social pressure. 
The church should not cave in to the woke culture, this cancel culture. But we need to awaken. We need to awaken, right? And don't buy into the critical race theory, which is making things worse, causing, it's actually creating a, a bigger problem than what they, they think that's going to solve something. No, it's, it's making things much, much, much worse. The whole thing is racist. Have you read about it? Do you know about it? Have you read about it? I would encourage you to read about it. I've got an article if you want. Email me, office at calvaryrochester.com, and I'll send it to you. You can read about it. Know what it's about because it's permeating everything and and creating a lot of problems between people. And I love the fact that we can all gather here and we are all different colors, races, everything, and we love each other. There's no problems. I don't know. Does anybody, anybody have a problem? I don't have a problem. I love all of you. I don't care. You could come in with green skin. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care where you've come from. You love Jesus, then I love you too. And even if, even if you don't love Jesus, I love you. We should love him, right? But don't buy into that critical race theory garbage. Read about it. It is demonic. Demonic. You have to know. Understand what it is because the tentacles of it are so slowly reaching in and choking everything. Before long, this country, and it's already starting to happen, is going to be something completely different than what it was two years ago. Be very, very careful. Jesus said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of of life, you know, these things are passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides. In Romans 12, you know, Paul tells us, By the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And being not conformed to this world, but renewing, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we need. We need to turn off the television. We need to turn off the social media. We're inundated with so much truth, with so much false stuff. We don't even know what the truth is anymore. I know what the truth is. It's right here. This is all I know. And all I care to know. And the more I know this, the more peace I have. But the more I know about that other stuff, all of a sudden my peace slowly evaporates. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think you do. So what are you going to do about it? (laughs) I could talk about it all I want, but how does it relate in practice in my life? But Paul's life was one of sacrifice. He knew this idea of decreasing so that Christ might increase. In Philippians 3... We're not going to go through all these for the sake of time. But I would encourage you to either take a picture of that or I can send it to you or whatever. Just write them down because we're only going to go through a couple of these. But notice what Paul says. He was very aware of this idea of being less and Christ being more. And he went through it not only spiritually you know, in his personality, but he also went through it physically. What does it say in Philippians 3, verse 4? If anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. 
If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.